Hey everybody, welcome back to Visual Novel Book Club. I'm your pal Sloby. With me, of course, my good friend Rosella. 500? Hello. <laughs> I tripped on the branding for a second. Just, just Rosella <laughs> is fine. Only my mother calls me Rosella 500. <laughs> Got it. Rosella it is. <laughs> my good friend Turbo C. I was waiting for that. Yep. Hi. My good friend Pulaho Co. Uh, you got it close enough. My good friend Oren Run N. Yeah, well, yeah, close enough, I guess. Yes. <laughs> My good friend Jim. <laughs> yeah, just one syllable there. Kind of tough to hesitate in the middle. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's just great. Because listen, listen. Enough bullshit, okay? We got chapter five. Or case five, I guess, technically. Or no, it's chapter five, I tried. Yeah. Of uh of of great ace attorney. Who wants to start us off? I'm I've been starting off a lot. Do you want to tell us what, what the chapter is called? Oh. Um do, do, do you remember what the chapter is called? Not offhand. Wait, what's it called? Uh, it's the case of the unspeakable story. Yeah. And then the, the subtitle. The, the, the Hound, Hound of, the of the Baskervilles. I think is it is it fair to say Hound of the Baskervilles is probably the most famous Sherlock Holmes story? I think so. Uh yeah, probably. It's it's the one that I think I'm the most familiar with, being not familiar with Sherlock Holmes in general. Mm-hmm. Same. It's also one of the four that are novels and not short short stories. Yeah. So maybe that's why people are more familiar with it. Maybe a study in Scarlet. Yeah, that was my other that was the B second, I think. But even with that, if you ask people what the plot is, they probably won't remember studying Scarlet, and they'd be like, oh yeah, the Hound of the Baskervilles, you know, the big hound was, you know, scaring people. It's one about a dog, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's a hound in it. Yeah. And, and like, Sherlock Holmes ruins, ruins ghost dogs for people. But not the movie Ghost Dog, which I think he was a fan of. <laughs> yeah, so we start with, like, a scene from the Hound of the Baskervilles. This seems like, like, maybe it was verbatim, but I'm not sure. Because this seemed, like, really like mm-hmm. it came from a Sherlock Holmes story. Do, do you know, Jim, if this was, like, quoted uh, it, it, from the story? Yeah, I didn't look it up. Do you remember Sherlock Holmes verbatim while <laughs> you're playing a video game? And it, 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 I'm going to say it, it felt like it was verbatim, but um, and also Hound of the Best Girls was public domain, so they could have. Um, uh, it, I didn't check to see if it was for sure, but yeah, I would agree that it certainly, if not verbatim, it was very close to the actual language. I mean... Except they changed the name of the characters, so... Yeah, Sholmes and Wilson. It's, it's verbatim, right. except fan fiction. <laughs> uh, then we have a time skip from the previous chapter. Yeah, we had we had two cases in two days, and then uh, just had a, a big two-month gap of not uh, not getting any cases, which apparently includes Sholmes. Off-screen character growth. <laughs> not much, though. Yeah. I'm going to guess Baron Zeke's also was uh, just not doing stuff during this time. Yeah. It's like Suzato appears to be like really anxious about this. Like she's almost acting like uh, like she she refuses to believe that we don't have a case. She keeps acting like, so like, what's what's the case today? When are we heading to court? It's like, Suzato, we don't. Are you are you OK? Like, <laughs> we don't have one. Yeah. Well, I think. She's nervous about the telegram that she got. That's why she's agitated. That that is true. There's a mysterious telegram that 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 Susato received. We have not read it. It's not for us. Yeah. And when directly questioned about it, um, she's like, "Oh, it's nothing. It's just a telegram. It doesn't mean anything. Just a telegram. Nope. Just not, not not meaning anything here." And you can you can even examine it on the desk. And she's just like, "Nope. Don't worry about it." 
you know, it's a normal telegram, just just normal, nothing. And then when kind of pressed on it, she's like, yeah, I, I guess you figured out. But just trust me, I will tell you at some point. I'm not going to tell you right now. And and um, you know, Renowski uh, respects that and doesn't press her on it. There's a lot of that happening in this chapter. A lot of well, I can't tell you right now, so I'll tell you later. Yeah. There is also in this room a repeat of the, um, the uh, this game's version of the uh, ladder step ladder um, conversation. Uh, if you look at the shovel, yeah, the uh, yeah the shovel and the spade. It was pretty funny. Oh no, I missed that. You did. There's a shovel in this room. Yeah, there there is a shovel. I, I guess I didn't examine it. Yeah, if you examine the shovel, um, I forget who who's is on whose side, but. Basically, they're arguing if it's a shovel or a spade, because one is for digging up loose material, and the other one is for shoveling it. And they're both on opposite <laughs> in opposite camps. Yeah, and then later, when, when Iris is in the room, she also gives her opinion, so it's an entire thing. Oh, that's excellent. Much like the um, letter step letter thing, this makes more sense in Japanese. <laughs> they kind of struggle with it in the, in the English translation. Because is there, is there really a confusion between a letter and a step letter in English? No. 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 Not, not at all. No, if, yeah, if somebody says go get a ladder, there's not going to be like, well, do you mean the step ladder or the ladder? In, in Japanese, the letter step ladder thing is, is a kyatatsu and hashigo, which are both with, are confusing words. People confuse them. I mean, I confuse them, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of them until right now, so yeah. And then this one is kind of a repeat because it's like that the. the English word shovel or shoberu. Um, and oh, shovel. Yeah. What was the other one? Scope. This was the other one, which is another English loan word. Um, and the argument in Japanese is which is, the, which is the long one and which is the short one. Uh, and yeah, these are, also, again, words people confuse in real life. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to remember, I think that uh, Susoto gets it, uh, gets it right. Yeah, that makes sense. That she correctly identifies it and what the purpose is. And what is that? For those of us that didn't... So sho- uh, shovels are for moving um, like loose material. Oh. You know, like you shovel yeah. coal. And spades are for digging into the ground. Mm. And so spades have the kind of sharpened edge for digging. Whereas the, the shovel, um, you know, is more made to transport stuff. It's got uh-huh. like the... Yeah. Right. So, does that make it a shovel or a spade? What's in the scene? I, I think it's a. I, I think she correctly identifies which one is which. Like which, but I don't know. I think it's a spade in the scene. No, it's a shovel because it's got the um, shovels have that kind of um, like spades look more like squared off, and shovels have that point. You could imagine a spade being on a playing card, but that's really hard of the shovel. That's how I remember it. Hmm. Wouldn't that mean that the spade is the pointy one? Yeah, I think so. I think it's different. A spade is this flat one, shovels the pointy one. It's the opposite. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't look like a spade on a playing card. I thought I knew about shovels before I started this podcast. <laughs> it's like, okay, here, here's a good way to do it. Um, think of a snow shovel, and then it's not, and it's the opposite for a spade. <laughs> oh my God. So wait, okay, just hold play on. many years of RuneScape where the spade is as a square, and then you'll just remember it. I hate to refer to the ultimate piece of evidence, Pottery Barn, but you can't really go by the shape of it because there's gardening spades, 
which have that kind of sh- things that are like sort of like trowels that are like the pointy dirt shovel kind yeah. of thing. Right. So those spades are pointy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think I think like you can have flat and pointy shovels and it looks like you can have flat and pointy spades too actually according to this other website that has a, a tool called a king of spades that looks exactly like a shovel. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, like a spade has to have a flat tip to get into the ground better, whereas a, a, a shovel, you want to be able to scoop things up. So you got to get that first edge underneath. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like a dirt spoon. I, I think. It, it, oh, wow, this is going to be a great debate for the uh, for the episode. <laughs> yeah. the great shovel spade debate. Well, we've established this as an educational podcast already. So, yeah. Y'all can look this up if you want. Yeah, I mean, I remember the time I went into the gardening department. All right, we this is a long chapter. Anyways, the cat shows up. (laughs) (laughs) It's way ahead. Turbo's got their priorities in order here. Yes, I know what I'm here for. Yeah, and it's Wagahai. Wagahai. Are we good to Are we good to talk about Wagahai the cat? Or there's one thing that happened beforehand. Or a oh. couple things that happened beforehand, but like the one that stood out to me was we got a telegram from Soseki because he's he's on his way back to Japan, and we, he's mm-hmm. compla- complaining of seasickness. Uh, life is still constant misery. Mm. But like, can you send a telegram from a boat? I thought that needed wires. Apparently, okay. I uh, I mean, presumably that's how the Titanic SOS didn't it? But I thought that's like I thought that's, that's like how it radio. Sank? Oh. <laughs> Like you're you're pro- just projecting that in a radius. I think I think we also we've also learned before that it's not a direct trip. They stop at uh, at some ports in the middle, so maybe that's when that's true. You send a telegram. I just I I I had to look up a whole bunch of information about telegrams because it it that that one sentence just completely derailed my entire thought process. Communication between ship and shore was by Morse code, as was for conventional telegraphy. The equipment only transmitted messages for about 300 miles in daylight on that figure doubles or triples in dark. In daylight? It's by... What? In by sight? I mean, it's... it's, Yeah, it's the fiber optic cable minus the cable. It's just fiber optics. It's just light. Really? Um, the wireless what? telegraph, Guillermo Marconi in December. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that I know the radio waves travel better at night because there's less um, interference in the atmosphere. There's less atm- atmospheric interference. So mm-hmm. like you can get like, like I know in the Northeast, like, we used to be able to get like Canadian radio stations when it was really late. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. <sighs> Wait, uh, hold on a sec. Sorry. Um, earliest system sold his earliest systems to lighthouse and ship, which could not access the cable network. So Marconi did it with wireless telegraphy. He looks like he did make something though that used radio waves. Mm-hmm. It's electromagnetic radiation. Um, okay, so it's actually a piece of equipment that uses electromagnetic radiation. It's not literally. This is it. this is just the episode where we just Google stuff on Wikipedia, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, yeah. This is right the reference section. <laughs> Vaguely trying to remember and then furiously Google when somebody else is talking. Don't Oren, don't even tell us what Wagahai means in like five minutes. All right, anyway, so okay, go ahead. I, 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 I'm actually prepared to do that because it's interesting. <laughs> I, I also looked this up. This was part of my research. Yeah, I didn't look it up. I learned it from uh, a kanji thing. It's the one thing that I kept from uh, telling you when I did my initial um, talk about Soseki, um, because <laughs> I knew that I would have to talk about it right now. <laughs> did the cat also write something? But sp- sp- Speaking of telegrams, right? Telegraphs. Didn't do we get the other one yet? 
No, but we, we go down for breakfast and we talk to Iris, but in the background there's like this really bad um, violin um, oh, yeah. noises. And then we pan the room and we see Sholmes attempting to play the violin and failing. And it's, and he is he is depressed about it. He's not happy. He's in a bad mood. Yeah. He really is. It's all, all hunched over. Mm-hmm. I'm a little disappointed. I thought they were just going to interpret Sholmes as this version of Holmes being bad at uh, violin. I, I was thinking that too, yeah. Um, he's, 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 he's upset. He's really down. He can't deduce. The muses have left him unamused. He's totally just despondent. Not like his usual self. He's prepared to die. He's like, today is a good day to die and all this stuff. Yeah. It's just not going well for him. I think one of the things he says is damn this blanched existence. (laughs) Yeah. He's, uh, he's not, he's not doing well. (laughs) And then Wagahai comes in through like a little... A little cat door. Oh, yeah, there's a cat door. That's right. Wagahai comes in. And by the way, um, it's made by a, a cat flapomatic. And and I wanted to like tweet this or whatever, because then the like eternal like computer programming struggle comes up when like it turns out Iris invented a device to make uh, a cat door called a cat flapomatic. And Haruhoto says, but with the time it took you to make the device, couldn't you have just made the cat door? Which is like every fucking thing in the world of like, by the time it took you to write the pro- the code to do the thing you wanted to do, you could have just done it manually. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely, I, I noted that same thing. And I said, parentheses, do not ask this question of an engineer. <laughs> they will get mad at you. Right. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's you couldn't believe. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, w- I was already mad on Iris's behalf when I heard this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Susado is excited because now they can make a cat door in the office, too. The Susato gets it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so here's the thing, though. We figure out pretty quickly what the problem is, or I think maybe Iris does, because she notes that uh, Sholmes's violin looks a lot different. The wood's cracked. It's much smaller. And she realizes it's a viola, not a violin. And Holmes is mentioning that he had a Stradivarius that um, he had at a pawn, a pawn shop. Or that he took, and you know what else they noticed too is that his analytic scope is gone off his desk, the, or the big contraption, and he mentions he's pawned that as well. However, not pawning as in selling per se, but going to a pawn broker, which I think is actually how pawn shops really work. But mm-hmm. we took it is considered yeah. them selling. Yeah, and I think this entire thing is accurate to how how things were like in in that time period. Yeah, people really did use pawn shops in that way. Yeah. So for anybody that's not familiar how a pawn shop works, you go to a pawn shop, you give them some item of personal value. They say, okay, that is worth this amount of money. I'm going to loan you the money. You're going to come back uh, after a certain amount of time, pay me back the money with interest, and then I give you your item back. If you don't do that, then I keep the item and I can sell it in my shop to anybody. It's like it's like if you need a loan, but it needs to be small. You just use something you own as collateral, and that way, if you can't pay it back the loan, they just sell the item, and nobody gets their thumbs broken or their homes uh, foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. Or as a uh, Holmes noted, uh, the uh, it is within the pawnbroker's best interest to keep the item very secure and not lost, though it might also be used as just a makeshift storage. Yeah, is this actually true? Because the impression that they give is that people 
they do this all the time. Like, I mean, it sounds like they're doing it in the standard like business loan way, meaning like you take out money because you expect whatever you're investing or doing is going to make you more so that you might as well like take out a loan rather than spend your own money. Because they're the analogy they use is like a business person might give an overcoat, then they make enough money to get back the overcoat. And if they have enough money left over from whatever they use the loan money for, they could even buy a second overcoat just so that they could do it again, or even one simply for the purpose of pawnbroking. You know? This is kind of a, an interesting explanation on why debt isn't necessarily bad for, like, big corporations and, and governments and things like that, because it's, like, more used to, like, secure investments and things like that. But mm-hmm. that said, let's, you know, we, we're, I, we, we've derailed enough on cat doors and shit, so... <laughs> Uh, at any rate, the do point we, is being that, yeah, you can, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, do like we want to talk about, uh, is now the right time to talk about Wagahai as a name? So I, I do think we should explain that. I want to talk about credit scores some more. <laughs> <laughs> no, please go into Wagahai. So, Wagahai, um, as, as we already know, uh, uh Sasaki's most famous book is called I Am a Cat. Uh, in Japanese, it's called, uh, Wagahai wa Nekodaru. Uh, so Wagahai is one of the many first-person pronouns Japanese have. Um, I'm sure you all know that the Japanese have many ways to say I. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like Watashi, Boku, Ore, and Wagahai, for example? <laughs> for example, yes. Uh, the thing about modern Japanese is that in, in like real life, you only ever use about four of them. Uh, like you, you, you actually hear in real-life conversation. And then maybe like a couple of more in informal situations. Um, but they use a whole lot more for literary purposes, like as a, as a kind of a shorthand for uh, telling you what the personality of the character is. So like in anime or in novels or wherever, you, 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 you hear a lot more first-person person pronouns than what you'd actually hear in real life. Um, and Wagahai was originally like um, kind of a nobility class first-person pronoun. Um, and it was already out of use by the time Natsume Sasaki wrote the book. Uh, and so the book is from the point of view of a cat and he uses Wagahai. And it's kind of funny because Wagahai is kind of like a high class, higher class first name pronoun. Um, but that book was so popular that, uh, Wagahai basically came back into use in literature as a reference to, to this book. <laughs> so... You still can see some of it, like in its base original, um, like personality signifier. For example, like um, well, I hate to talk about this book, but in the Japanese translation of Harry Potter, Snape uses Wagai. Ha. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, so it's this kind of character. But mostly, what you see Wagai these days is for cat characters. Um, so Persona Five, Morgana, the talking cat. Uh, uses Wagai. Hmm. Of course he does. I hate that cat. Or also just just in in general, like any male characters. So the, maybe the most famous example is that Bowser in Super Mario Brothers is a Wagai character. <laughs> Come the fuck on. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. I think you mean Jack Black? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jack Black. I'm just going to date this this episode completely. Actually, Jack Black uses Wagahai whenever he's in Japan. But, <laughs> but yeah, and, and in this game, um, Soseki himself used Wagahai uh, when he talked. Oh. So yeah, that's the story of Wagahai. 
So, so he refers to himself as Wagahai, and also his cat is named Wagahai. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. So here's the deal. So Holmes realizing that his pawnbroker has screwed him by giving him the viola instead of the Stradivarius. Well, actually, to be fully fair, Holmes mentions he initially got the Stradivarius from a pawnbroker who didn't realize what it was and paid like quite a like a you know got a really good bargain on it. And this is kind of, I guess, in a way, sort of a comeuppance, you might think at first. But regardless, you know, he decides we are going to get that pawnbroker and get back my violin. Who's ready for a fight? And then um, we go to the pawnbroker for this fight because, of course, and um, Naruhudu, who has not finished his bacon and eggs, is dragged along because, of course, he is. <laughs> and we get there and the pawnbroker is a guy named Pop Windebank. He has exactly a pawn a pawn shop that exactly what you think it is. It's full of items. It's you know, um, uh, for sale. And Pop Windebank probably looks like your standard sort of heavy set English gentleman. I guess is that fair? A fair assessment. He's got big mutton chops. He does have big mutton chops. Yeah, and a pink bow tie that I think is very flattering. <laughs> yeah, like gentlemanly shop owner, like the kind of guy you'd see like at the butcher shop or at the you know whatever. Like he, he's like a pillar of the community kind of guy. Man, you know, listen, I'll just say, I'm not usually a content warning kind of guy, but there's kind of a kind of a suicide image, like, very soon that, like, I was pretty shocked the game did as a joke. <laughs> yeah, they did it, like, very... Uh, out of nowhere. Yeah, like, the the happy, cheerful, haha, this is a joke music started playing before you even see what happens. I'll tell you what, if I, I think we can safely say you can skip about... I'll give us the, uh, we'll edit this if it's not, but I'll give us uh, 120 seconds to talk about it. I'm going to set a timer, okay? Starting right now. When you accuse him of having mixed up the violin, he puts a gun to his head. Multiple times, you- actually, throughout this encounter. It's like, the, it's this way's way of introducing the literal Chekhov's gun of this case. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we will have to talk about it outside of it, but that's that's the animation he does. And, you know, that's like kind of the joking thing is every time he feels like he's screwing up as a pawnbroker, he's going to put a gun to his head and threaten to shoot himself. It comes up quite a lot. Um, there's, and there's just straight up a suicide joke, whereas at one point they're like, isn't that dangerous that you keep doing that? And he's like, don't worry, there's only one bullet, so I'd only shoot myself. That's right. 80 seconds. He's also he's also got his finger like on the trigger. Like this is like this is not uh, just an idle threat. Like he is absolutely doing oh, it. Oh, this is gonna happen, yeah. Yeah, I was fully expecting this to be like a, a big bluff and it reveals like, oh yeah, this is just a toy gun. Mm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, damn, I, I guess we're done and we have 60 seconds left full of this part. So if there's anything else that you'd want to get, no. Um, Let's talk about drugs, everyone. No. <laughs> Let's let's get back into. No, we'll get we'll get there. There's also a drugs reference in this part too. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll. All right. Just do another take where you do sixty seconds. It'll be fine. So my favorite kind of trauma is. No. It's fine. I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, time's up. All right. So for those of you who did skip ahead the predetermined amount of time, um, uh, the only thing you need to know, case wise and everything, is that um, the pawnbroker. Whose name I just forgot? Pop Vanderbilt. No. Windebank. Windebank. Um, has a gun with one bullet that he uh, keeps with him. So uh, one bullet on at all times. Anyhow, 
So, of course, Sholmes is like, how dare you screw up my violin? And he's like, I'm so sorry. This is going to ruin my reputation as a prawn broker. Damn it. And um, I was, I'm so sorry. This is going to ruin my reputation as a pawnbroker. And then he's like, although I distinctly remember I was going in the back to get it for you. And then you, Mr. Sholmes, said, oh, here it is. And took something from the front and left. But I shouldn't have let you do that. So it turned out this is really Holmes' screw up. Yeah. Yeah. Sholmes, as, as soon as he hears that, I was like, oh, Oh, okay. Stop. All right. I admit fault here. Yes. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> what are you going to do? But, um, you know, look, we learned about, we learned more about pawnbroking. This game is really hammering home how pawnbroking works. Although mm-hmm. I think we've described it already. We also learn about, uh, the security system that Sholmes, uh, helped, helped introduce to Windebank which is uh, two cameras. I don't think the location is specified. You can see them at some points um, uh, when the camera, I think during the um, uh, deduction sequence, when the camera moves around, mm-hmm. they're the kind of behind the camera in the, in the regular view of the scene, like point to, towards the counter. Oh. Home Sholmes developed it interestingly, or he claims to, not not Iris. And it's it's a time security camera with a special kind of film he developed that can take pictures even in the dark. Mm. And um basically every 30 minutes it takes a picture throughout the day, and that way if someone tries to sneak in at night, it'll take a picture of them. And Windebank notes that this is really this is a really horrible thing because it's so expensive <laughs> because you have to keep paying for film. And Holmes is like, look, you want security. It costs you money. I'm sorry. That's just the way the world works. Yeah, this is the new age that's coming. And we immediately point out, like, we immediately point out, like, you know, what if someone commits a crime, like, in a 30-minute interval? It's like, well, I mean, no security is perfect. Holmes is just like, well, that would be too bad. There must be a mastermind. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, we, and that's, by the way, called the red-handed recorder, that device. Um, we also learn about phonographs or music boxes and the way they work is they encode audio data on a disc, um, like a bump map, you could say, but no, it's basically like the, the, if you've ever seen the cylinder kind of music box, it's like that, but with a disc and the idea is like, and this is a real thing again, that, um, the bumps on it as the device rotates, pluck a comb, which makes music tone notes of a different tone work, you know, and, uh, you can replace you know, different discs in for different songs. But the trick is, of course, that like every country or whatever has like different kinds of music boxes and the the discs are like specific to the box. Like you can't just put one song in any music box. It has to be written for that that specific box. I mean, we we still haven't standardized media formats, so. No. Yeah, this we, is uh, certainly can't expect it of the, you know, 20th century, 19th century. Somewhere around there. Nin- 19th century. We still haven't done it even in the 21st. So you can, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're also introduced to a stereograph. A lot. Stereography comes up a lot. And I think this is where this comes into play. If this was a 3DS game, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. So in the original 3DS game, whenever they use a stereoscope, um, they use the 3D function on the 3DS. Uh, they still teach you about the cross-eyed thing. Um, I guess for people who don't want to turn on the 3D. But in, in, in the mm-hmm. very first instance of this, where they do use the stereograph, um, in this version, Holmes tells you that, tells Naruto, like, Mr. Naruto, you'll have to cross your eyes. In the original, I'm pretty sure it just said, Mr. Naruto, you'll have to turn on your 3D slider. 
on the 3DS. <laughs> nice. So yeah, in, in the PlayStation 4 version, for the record, it's uh, they just show two images, yeah, kind of side by side, and yeah. Can can you all do that? Can you all see the 3D? Uh, yeah, I tried to do it, but I was on auto um auto scrolling, so I I didn't have enough time to focus. But yeah, I can cross my eyes that easily normally. <laughs> Can I tell you, so my whole life, those stupid magic eye images that use this, I usually takes me forever to see it. And everyone tells you with things like that to look through the image. The game goes, pretend like you're looking at something farther than what you're trying to look at. And that like worked instantly. And I'm like, that's what they all meant. And I can't believe friggin' Great Ace Attorney of all things finally taught me how to see a magic eye picture. Although actually, now that I think about it, I didn't try it. So let me try that now. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they didn't. I, I also had it on auto and I didn't get to do it here. But they, later they give a more uh, a more thorough explanation of how you should cross your eyes and get the images to line up. And I was able to get it to focus. And that was actually super, super cool. Yeah, it's really cool if you if you manage to do it. I can't. I still can't see Magic Eye. Never mind. Yeah, I, I did learn how to uh, see Magic Eye images back back when. Like what was it? The nineties. Nineties. Yeah, yeah that, that was when they were pretty popular. Oh yeah. I've heard of Magic Eye puzzles, and people are always complaining about them, but I don't think I've ever actually used one. It took me forever. It, it took me months to learn how to how to learn it. But once once you do it, it's pretty easy. They're always in like Spencer's gifts or something in the in the mall <laughs> yeah. in like the nineties. I would I would see them in like waiting rooms like at the doctors or something, which I imagine is to distract you from how long the waiting time is. Does it does it work on CRT? I'm trying it right now. I don't see anything. I linked one in Discord, but whatever. Anyway. I don't think the CRT really matters in it. Yeah, I don't think so either. But anyway, uh, another time. Yeah. I think it's much easier to see the uh to, to see the one in the game where it's just two images left and right eye and you just yeah. have to line them up rather than like one big image. It was it was much easier on the 3DS though. <laughs> That's true. This is a long chapter and like I think a good 5% of it is spent on explaining stereoscopy. But, oh, at um, least. Yeah, so at any rate, um, stereoscopes are huge in London, you know, um, they have a big one set up and there's also like a little... I don't know if it's totally revealed that it is one, but there's like a little spring loaded thing with like binoculars that at some point I think is revealed that it is, in fact, a small version of a stereoscope that you keep like looking at. But like Naruhodo doesn't seem to know what it is. Um, but there's a big proper like booth thing that you can like look into and see like an image of a yeah, lady. People but... line up to go to these things. Yeah, exactly. Um, anywho. We have we have a blast, you know. We learn about uh, phonographs, music boxes, stereoscopes, and we see he uh, that Windebank has like a ledger where he's, you know, keeps like who's deposited what and when. And I think this is around where I'm going. This guy's dead because um, that's going to be an obvious <laughs> you know, clue for a thing later. Um, but then uh, Gina Lestrade from an earlier chapter is here, and she starts arguing with the pawnbroker about a disc. Um, and she says, like, uh, she's trying to pawn it, and she says that he told her it was worth money, but won't say who it is. Um, but when we ask Windebank about it, he says that they're arguing about a storage ticket for the overcoat that Gina got back. Huh. Uh, so she got, she got it back, but she found a disc in the pocket of it and wanted to pawn the disc. But then some other guy comes in. I put he looked like a, I, I put that he looked like a posh ice cream guy. That's not fair, because I'm reading the ice cream um ice cream man comic so 
um, which is pretty good. But anyway, uh, so he looks he's a very posh guy and he's dressed in like mostly like a white thing. They call him the picture postcard guy, I guess, because he looks kind of like that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, he moves very flourishing, like in that shoe Takami way. Like, not quite Cavatelli from Ghost Trick, but he, like, has a lot of, like, spinning dance kind of things where he motions when he's talking, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but he's like, no, 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 that's my overcoat. Um, you, she, Gina, who's a pick, we all know is a pickpocket, including Windebank, stole it out of my pocket and is trying to claim it as her own to sell his money, Okay. And she's like, no, you're lying. That is mine. Yes, I'm a pipcocket, but, you know, the disc was my old man's. And, like, it fits her really well, so I'm I'm sold by this. I think she looks yeah. great in it. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, the art doesn't match the way they're describing it, because I think at one point they point out that it doesn't fit her, but it does fit him, and it fits both of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, what... The, fortunately, Windebank has a solution, which is include... In, in, in addition to the tickets and everything, he also has a watchword, which is a password. And the idea is like you, you know, tell him um, you tell him the watchword and if along with the ticket. And if you know it, obviously, he knows you're the owner. And what do you know? The the posh guy who I think identifies himself uh, maybe a little later, but just so we can tell him something. Eggert Benedict. Yes. And the entire reason for the password system is that. Uh, he doesn't record the names of the people who pawn items. Oh, that's right. Yeah, was, he says it's for privacy reasons, which could mean several things. He kind of indicates that he, you know, that this involves Sholmes and taking stuff for him, but it also could mean that yeah, he receives stolen goods sometimes, so he doesn't want to reveal who these people are. Yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I just really like it because it's it's good security, right? It's 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 something you have, which is the ticket, and it's something you know, which is the watchword. Like this is <laughs> I. It, multi-factor authentication i think it's great i'm really happy for him that's a two-step <laughs> the only thing is you want to make sure part of your multi-factor well we'll find out yeah you should probably uh, salt the the data on the back end and he goes well the password is professor and the guy's like jolly good that's your thing and gina's like no it isn't and they kind of fight over it a bit and then she grabs a disc and she gives it to us does anyone want to say anything about the password about professor because it should like if you know shadow columns yeah uh, oh, Professor would probably be a reference to Professor oh, Moriarty. Moriarty. Yeah. Mm. I think you're supposed to like kind of figure it out now, or I have suspicions. It certainly implies, for anyone unfamiliar with Sherlock Holmes, the existence of sort of a, not just a criminal mastermind, but this, um, this criminal underground that's linked through a criminal mastermind. That there would be, say, if that person were to disappear, there would be a lot of lieutenants and other people vying for his power. Interesting. Wow. That's a lot from the password, the watchword. It's kind of funny. I guess I guess maybe in, in Japanese, it, it's the, the thing in the Japanese text is that the word professor uh, is spelled in English. It's not in Japanese. It's oh. the only thing. Oh, it's like the loan word? Yeah. So it, it's not even a loan word. It's not spelled in katakana. It's actually the word professor written in English letters. Oh, that's... So I guess that like kind of points your attention into it and makes you think. Because I remember when I first read this... I immediately thought about Moriarty when, when I saw the password. I didn't know he was a professor. I thought I thought it was a nod to the Professor Layton. <laughs> I thought it was a Gilligan's Island reference. <laughs> Look, I'm already trying to keep up with my new uh, research for Japanese literature. I can't do that and read the entire collected works of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> There's another huge reference coming up in a second. <laughs> it's so good. So. <laughs> um, well, 
Speaking of, you know, when she hands us the disc and we were like, what are we supposed to do about this? And Holmes goes, don't worry. I'm ready for another logic and reasoning spectacular where he's going to explain exactly what happened. And of course, we get the awesome great deduction and the games afoot. And this and basically we had a big song and dance. He says, of course, Eggert is here with a broken shovel, which he looks like he has a cane with uh, the letters AG on the handle. But Holmes says, no, it's a broken shovel, actually. And he's holding a job, help, uh, a, like a help wanted kind of poster or pamphlet for this pawn shop. He wants a job here so he can dig under the pawn brokery for a bank robbery. And of course, what's happening the whole time He's like, what, what? That's preposterous. I will, you know, whatever. And then and he's looking places and all that. And then Suzato's like, Mr. Nahoto, please do your thing. Well, Holmes also manages to reveal a state secret at this point. Oh, yeah. That like across the street, there's like a secret bank or something like that. Well, it's that's where they're holding the uh, that's where they're holding the money to build the crystal tower for the, the great exhibition or whatever it's called. Right. That's right. And of course, this is another, uh, this, this entire deduction is the plot of an actual Sherlock Holmes story. Is this like the Redhead Society one? Yeah, this is, yeah, this is the Redheaded League. So this is like with the, um, the speckled band, Holmes' incorrect presumption is, uh, is actually the plot to uh, the Redheaded League, which is real simple. It's just a, a case where a guy who was, who owned a pawn shop did poor business, and then somebody said, oh yeah, this, um, you know, this guy who wanted to help redheaded people out uh, made this society, and you can earn four pounds a day just by coming in and uh, copying over the Encyclopedia Britannica. And uh, <laughs> and he's like, four pounds? It's like triple what I would make at my job. So he shuts down his pawn shop. He comes in and he does this for a few weeks. He gets to the B's. He starts from the A's. He gets to the B's. And then eventually the, the league just shuts down and he loses his income, and he comes to Holmes to complain. And it turned out it was a bunch of bank robbers who were who were paying him four pounds to get him away from his shop so they could dig a tunnel underneath the shop <laughs> uh, to get to the bank. Wow. You, he needed Sherlock Holmes for that one? Well, he just came to complain. It seems The whole point of the thing is it seems like a really stupid thing to complain about. Like, oh, you were making a bunch of money and now you're not? Oh, boo-hoo. But it turns out that Holmes figures out, oh, wait, there's a big bank robbery about to happen. <laughs> um... Well, you know what? I, I will say I was kind of hoping this case would be kind of like Speckled Band, where it is actually kind of about the hand of the Hound of the Baskervilles, but we find out like all the plot holes and things and have a more sort of plausible case for it. But it doesn't seem like that might be happening. Anyhow, um, so uh, we figure out actually, you know, his cane says AJ on it, which doesn't match his, the initials of the name he gave us. So it seems like something's really off about this about this Egg Eggert Benedict guy. And he has Gina's description on the back of the um, Help Wanted notice. Yeah, like he wrote down, like, it's going to be this purse. Yeah, she's going to look like this, etc. It has a cute little drawing of her, which is adorable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like a little chibi style. So the idea is that he waited outside of the pawn shop until he saw the person matching that description, just came in behind her and then accused her of theft. Right. And then, uh, so, Yeah. And basically, and the crime is actually that he was trying to steal this box and if uh, the disc. And if you look on the back, there is um, a note that says for McGilded. And it's like, what? It's for Magnus McGilded, who died in the omnibus two months ago. Exactly. And, you know, almost exactly. And um, I am furious that here we do not actually read the note. Mm -hmm. uh, wait, wasn't it just a little note on the disc or is it like a whole thing? 
I mean, it looked like, a, I I guess it could have been like a post-it note. I don't know. I, I thought that it was like it had information on it. It did sort of look like it unfolded a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it was just a, post, a post-it note. Uh, that's what it said, I, I believe. All right. I don't think there was anything else on it. Well, okay. Then I guess I'm less furious. To be fair, though, it's still way more revealing than it had to be. You know, like, it could have just been the disc, and we could have known it was for McGilded if we were Egbert Benedict. Like, not like a note, like, for the guy who supposedly died. <laughs> well, when you open the note up, it says, for McGilded, this is for you, this disc. <laughs> right. Helping out my fellow redheaded friends, or hat, big hat friends. We learn a little la- later about where this disc came from, so it makes a little sense that there would be a post-it note saying for McGilded on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it, this We also realize it has a blood stain on it. Mm-hmm. Which is odd. But um, we fixed it. We do our double dance with Mr. Sholmes. It goes great. And then Gregson arrives because Windebank has a panic button under his counter. Yeah, they, they also, before that, they figure out that um, this disc was pawned on the night where the omnibus accident took place. Yeah. Incident. For the record, I thought you just said it was pwned. <laughs> like, wow, really? Well, okay. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Um, yes, it was. It was. Yeah, Gregson uh, st- steps in and says that he doesn't have time for our petty argy bargy, <laughs> which I was not prepared to read. <laughs> I'm still not. There was actually uh, Gina said something that I liked was when um, Egert Benedict said that the disc was his. What she responded with was "pull the other one," which was like, hey, are you pulling my leg? Pull the other one. I like that. Oh, there was also a very strange reference to every breath you take in Gina's dialogue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it right. was so strange that I went back to the Japanese to see if maybe I missed something. Like, maybe there was a reference to some obscure Japanese song that they didn't know. But there wasn't. It just... <laughs> the, the localization just pulled it out of nowhere. They just decided to do that. Well, no, I think they're implying that he looks like Sting. He's got like this blonde hair. Oh, okay, yeah. I now that you say it, I see it. Yeah. He does let look like Stang. I get yeah. it. Um, it's yeah. Also, uh, Gina has another line that I really liked, where um, like when we accuse her of of stealing things, she says that that's it's it's plain as the look on our Chevy Chase, which <laughs> I did not know was actual like British rhyming Cockney rhyming slang. I, I'm like, wait, that's hold on. <laughs> no, that's 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 real. I don't know if we've mentioned this before or if you, we've just kind of glossed over it, but Gina has a very thick dialect. Oh, it's fun. She's fun, and she's like the only person who has that thick dialect here. Yeah, she like I can hear her voice when she speaks. Unlike you know what I mean, like Naruhodo, I really kind of can't. Suzato, I kind of do, but like Gina, like a hundred percent, I have a voice in my head for her. You know, yeah, it's written as Cockney. At 100%, yeah. which is why they put in like Argy Bargy and pull, pull the other one is another like very traditional English saying. Pull the other one, it's got bells on. Like that's that's like a very traditional English thing. Um, let's see here. Oh, um, so Gregson is goes to arrest uh, Eggs Benedict, Egg, Eggert Benedict, and but he like kind of twirls and runs away. In like Gregson gives well. I don't remember if Gregson gives chase, but the Bobbies give chase. But Gregson also demands that we remand the disc as evidence. We, we forgot that before Gregson shows up, uh, Benedict pulls out a gun. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, You're yeah. right. That's right. Oh, yeah. That little detail. Um, 
it's a long chapter. <laughs> and 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 the reason Gregson shows up is that they have a security system. They're, they're um, windy back the windy button. Yeah, the panic button. Which did they have that technology back in the nineteenth century? I mean, they uh, they could talk on ships. Why not? You know. Windybank also at this point does pull out his gun too, and you think it was going to be a Mexican standoff, but he does not do that. Thankfully, the inspector does show up. All right, panic button, Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, right, we should point out real quick before we move on that before we actually they did the whole great deduction dance, um, Holmes had stepped away because Gina had. I guess insulted him or said that she didn't want to deal with him. And so he disappears for a while during that sequence. And then when he comes back, it turns out he was just looking at the, the, the stereoscopic machine or whatever. And he's very offended and hurt that he was sent away and he's eating caramel. And, uh, the, re- the, there's the direct drug reference to Holmes is that he's like, um, Oh yeah. You know, I was so distraught. I took a 7% solution of caramel, which he actually takes a 7% solution of cocaine in the stories. <laughs> He has his name on the caramel bar, though. Yeah. <laughs> the Shomes' yeah. caramel. Shomes' caramel. I bet Iris sells that. I also think it's a little weird, because I thought he was upset about, you know, the, 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 the violin sounded all wrong, but now, like, he's still acting all, uh, you know, distraught. And Well, now he's distraught because he got yelled at. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, that moodiness is very Sherlock Holmes. It's like that. There's literally stories that start off with him just being like, "The world is ending. Why should I even continue? I'm just going to do cocaine because it's so bored." And then a case comes in, and he's like, "Okay, I guess I'm not an addict anymore. Let's go do some stuff." Okay, so by the way, in 1857, there was a patent for electrical alarm systems, but I think they're like more like alarm alarms. You know what I mean? Not like a panic, like a covert kind of like direct line to to scotland yard or something like that was there also a patent for high resolution automatic photos on every 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yes by by dr john wilson what the h um uh yes um uh, yeah so I guess, I guess it would make more sense just to have a alarm alarm because of the presence of the bobbies always walking their beats yeah and all you need is the alarm and then they're gonna rush over Right. Um, but at any rate, look, um, what happens next here? Because then, oh, yeah. So, yeah, Egbert gets away after the gun, after the gun thing. Right. Or how does he get? How do we get past the gun? Because I thought like I thought he was we were going to like um, handcuff him. But then he like twirls and runs away. Well, he pulls the gun on us and then Gregson comes in and tries to break it up. And then Egg uh, eggs runs away. Yeah. It, he he literally does just twirl around and then he's off the screen. I'm just gonna call him Eggs. Yeah. Well, we don't see much of him anymore. But um, so then he has to take the disc. Gregson has to take the disc as evidence and home and he asks Naruhoto for it, but Holmes, I guess, gives it to him. Um, does the actual handoff, and um, we go home and we have learned that Holmes, who was earlier eating a, a bar of caramel. Um, has used two bars of caramel to press the disc into it and use that to make a copy of the disc. So, um, and also mentions that he does this sort of thing with, uh, with caramel to make copies of keys. By the way, um, was also a part, I think, of, like, the infamous, like, Great Train Robbery from Edward Pierce around the same time. Was yeah, the wax keys. Wax, yep. Wax key, yeah, wax copies of keys. We also invite uh, Gina over for dinner. Yes. And she does come. Yeah, I, Iris is very excited about Gina coming over to do for dinner. 
Um, but about the disk, the problem is that they don't know which manuf- which um, device it's for. Because right. there are many manufacturers of um, music boxes throughout Europe. Um, and it's not compatible with the one Sean says. Yep. So Sean threatens to like buy every single one to try them all. Yep, every to buy every single music box manufactured in the entire continent of Europe. Right, and then Iris is like, oh, 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 Sholmes, <laughs> you, you rap scallion. But, uh, yeah, so, um, we are not good. Yeah, so we don't know, but at any rate, um. Then before Gina comes over, um, they talk about the manuscript that Sholmes spawned off. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, they talk about, I think they just call it the Baskerville script. Yeah, so it turns out, we, we learned in the, in the pawn shop earlier that um, Sholmes, one of the things Sholmes spawned is, um, is uh, the manuscript to uh, a Sholmes uh, novel that Iris wrote uh, that she said that she can't publish yet for some reason. Uh, and now they start talking, talking about it and Iris calls it, um, yeah, it's the Baskerville story. Uh, and then Susato, um, she's like, I can't believe, you. yeah, like, oh, you were not going to publish Hound of the Baskervilles. I want to read it. I think, right? Is that what she said? She's like, I can't wait to read it. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But then they're like, wait, how did you know the title? We never said that. And then she's just kind of like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you yet. Which is like everybody in video games seems to get away with, but like I feel like I would never let drop. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you like? What, what, what do you mean now? When then? You know? But they're all like, all right, whatever, Suzato. Uh, in, in in this case, they were distracted because Gina shows up. Well, also, uh, is this is this also where we uh, where we talk about like Iris's parents? <laughs> We're like, hey. Yeah, well, her dad, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have do you have parents? And she's like, well, you know, my mom died when I was really young, and then my dad had to go somewhere to some far-off land to, like, you know. That's curious. What's your dad's name? By any chance? To study, you know, poisons or something <laughs> overseas. And he used to be Holmes's, uh, Sholmes' partner, and uh, that's kind of where the inspiration for this stuff comes from. And you're like, uh-huh. What's his first name? <laughs> and, and when he was killed, like, some student was holding a gun or something. And I was like, okay. But she specifically said that her dad went away when she was very little um, on, on a case with, with Sholmes. Uh, he went investigating a case and never came back. Um, and, and she didn't even know he was her father until she was fairly old, old enough to read at least, because she found his diaries um, in that box they used as a table. Uh, and then when she asked Shons about it, that's when she learned that Shons wasn't a real father, but she, a real father is called um, John Wilson and was Shons' partner. They make it a point to... Shons basically reveals this to her because he knows that he will not be able to hide that from her because she's very good at being able to tell when people are lying. Can't lie past this one, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they're like, why did you tell her so young? Yeah, so, so she also tells us that the, most of the stories she's written are based on the diaries that she found from her father. So most of them aren't like new cases, the old cases that her father wrote about in, in his diaries. Anyways, Turbo was right, right way back in, in episode three. She is Watson's daughter. <laughs> good, good work. Good job. Yay. Oh, I didn't read about it. We, we, still, we still don't tell her that her father is, is likely dead, though. That we think <laughs> her father is dead. 
and we, we, we and we continue not telling her throughout the chapter. <laughs> yeah, we're just like we should end the conversation now, <laughs> and that's it. Yep. So Susano about that manuscript is what I would say, but um, you know, so that night, um, oh, Jean is staying over and sleeping with Iris. Um, she's happy about, and and we did learn pickpocketing. That's so that's fun. And it's, Iris comes up to our room late at night and just to show us that she's actually stolen our armband off our arm, which, wow. And um, uh, Gina comes up too, and they met. We talk about the manuscript again, and this time we we're also kind of thinking, like, hey, um, you know, what, wait, what was it like? She was like, kind of like wondering, like, where home, like, why Holmes pawned it or whatever, and, or why, no, why he wouldn't pub- let her publish it. And Gene is like, look, all adults lie. He probably just sold it, published it himself without telling you. And she's like, well, he wouldn't do that. Like, he doesn't always tell the truth, but I don't think he would lie about something important like that. You know, something like I think is what she says, basically. There's also like a little flashback about when Sholmes told her that she couldn't publish a story that shows us like a little more serious Sholmes than we're used to. Yeah. He's just like, the time's not right, but you absolutely can't. That kind of thing, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Let's see here. So Holmes wakes us up in the middle of the night and um, apparently Gene is gone and the pawnbroker's open. Or, you know, it's like lights are coming from the pawnbroker. So we, meaning like Naruhoto, think that she went, like Gina went there to steal back the manuscript or, pro- or prove that the trunk that he pawned was empty and the manuscript's not in there. You know, that prove that Sholmes lied is what they think that is going on here. Right. You know? So um, Suzato insists on coming. So they leave the little girl alone at home asleep, which, okay. Um, we get there and we see like, kind of like the silhouette of two people, you know? Um, like a, seems like a, a short, like stout guy and a tall somebody, you know, we can't really see the lights go out. There is a shot and we get an animated sequence where Sholmes is, is the one who's shot. And I was, I was actually worried this was going to be the murder of the, the chapter, but he's like, never mind me. Just go to the there, the storeroom. First, first he tells he tells Naruto to chase after the. That's right. Two people. We chase after the the two thugs or whatever, but we lose sight of them pretty quickly outside. We go back in. He's bleeding. He's like, never mind me. Go to the storeroom. It's locked, but there's like a little like uh, sliding windowish kind of thing you can like open in the door. You know, it almost looks like a cat flap. Yes, but like but higher up, but eye level, not cat level. Eye height, yeah. If you want your cat to lose weight and jump up, I guess. But um, so we open it and inside is a window bank shot, um, presumably dead. And Gina lying down, holding the gun. Shit. Um, so, of course, a Bobby arrives outside, I think. Oh, no, actually, when we go to chase them, the Bobby sees us. and They're like, oh, what are you like stealing from the pawn shop? No, no, no. Get in here. You know, so now the Bobby now the police are here. We get questioned overnight, um, and uh, we come home around like I think six in the morning. And Iris is up, and she kind of realizes where the hell, where the heck have you been? You know, well, she doesn't say that obviously, but um, she's worried. Um, we have to tell her that Holmes uh, is at Saint Sinners Hospital. That's Sinners with a Y. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Saint Sinners Hospital, and uh, no visitors. No visitors. Off about. Right, right, right. Um, 
he's going to get surgery. He's going to live, but he needs surgery. You know, they basically keep saying like, no, 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 he's okay. Like he's not going to die, but it's serious, you know? Yeah. Like we're not throwing away one of the main characters. Don't worry, folks. (laughs) Oh, did we, did Suzato reveal the telegram last night or is that still yet to come? I think that's the very end. Yeah. It's like the little, like last scene almost. Okay. So sorry. All right. Anyway. Um, Okay, yeah, you're right. It's not my nose. I mean, she she did she did she did tell us before that the telegram was uh, that she was summoned to um, Strongheart's office in the morning. Yeah, that's oh, right, right. That's yep. right. She, that's right. She's and yeah, um, but alone also. So uh, anyway, Suzada's still being questioned though, so we don't know what's going on there right away. So we go to visit Gina in prison, and she has her grenade launcher gun in prison, which, alright, yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't confiscate it. What the hell is wrong with the police in this universe? I don't know. They don't even search people going into courtrooms or prison. What the hell? And Gregson's the smartest of them, apparently. I don't know. It's Rant's magazine. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, she refuses any sort of representation. She's offered a public defender. She says no. She's basically just like, look, this whole system's corrupt. Everyone's accused me of being a liar my whole life. This isn't going to work out well for me. So F it, you know, happy to happy to just let my fate, you know, happen because it's just going to happen that way. And she's like, look, everyone lies. Even in my life, I've told some unforgivable lies. No, I won't elaborate on that. Moving on. To be fair, to be fair, if anyone says that, they're not going to tell you what they are. No one's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I've committed some unforgivable lies. Let me list them for you. <laughs> you can't cancel me. I'll cancel me. <laughs> uh, let's see here. So, OK, but but she does say, like, take this, which is a, and she gets a picture of gives a picture of a cat, a white cat. It's very cute. Iris likes it. Um, You know, and it's also if we look on the back of it, it has the a pawn shop receipt from two months ago. Or pawnbroker, I guess, receipt. Yeah. Or card, whatever. Um, we go to the pawn shop, though. Gregson's there. He does reveal that they are going to charge Gina. Gina. Um, uh, they've captured... The, apparently, they've captured the two thugs as witnesses, and they will testify against her at the Old Bailey that she is, in fact, the the killer. Um, or that she, you know, shot the gun, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we also... Um, let's see here. Oh, and basically, we also learn, like, why... Because Gregson, whenever he sees Iris, always calls her her, his ladyship, and she has, like, tea for him, and he's, like, really, like, oh, well, you know, he's super happy to help. Like, us, he kind of sarcastically calls us sunshine, won't help out, but he's super happy to help out Iris, and the reason is that because she wrote about him being, like, the smartest one of Scotland Yard, his, like, pay doubled, and everyone... He has, like, a little fan club at Scotland Yard, apparently, so he's kind of happy with that, you know? Um... That said, he's also very paranoid about, like, what's going to happen next. So it's like a blessing and a curse kind of thing. Maybe a bit of a white elephant. I don't know. Whatever you like in terms of your metaphors. We get a whole bunch of new animations for him, though, when when I would show up. Some of them are very funny. Uh, it looks like I, I was wrong. We, we do visit uh, Strongheart's office, like, now-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he won't. he won't let us investigate the scene because we don't, we aren't Gina's lawyers yet. Yeah. yeah, she won't. Yeah, she doesn't want anybody represented, etc. Um, but we do. So anyway, we do. We go to Stronghearts, and we do learn, in fact, that Suzada has been summoned home, like to Japan, which takes like fifty days because her father has fallen very ill, and his health is in his bad health. He's in poor health, and she has to learn to live tomorrow morning. Yeah, because they want to expedite her getting home in time to see her father. 
So she she will not be able to help us for the trial. Yeah. Which didn't seem suspicious until I was saying it right now, actually. But, um... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at any rate, yeah. So, but she's like, look, I'm still a legal representative. Because we're like, don't you have to pack? And she's like, my personal matters don't matter. So, well, she didn't say it like that. But, you know, uh, uh, um, so I'm here to help you for the remainder of the day, you know? Yeah, she's going to assist with this investigation. Right. Before this, by the way, Iris was kind of taking on the Suzato role, I will say. But anyhow, um, let's see. When we when we go back to the prison with Iris in tow, Gina is at least like a little better about like, all right, look, I'll sign these representation papers just so you can investigate. And we kind of tell her, you can tear them up later if you don't want me to represent you. She's like, fine. I think she does that when, when we tell her that um, Shorms has been shot and we want to investigate because... Um, we want to find out what happened to him. And she tells us, by the way, some of her lies. And some of her lies are basically she lied in the trial two months ago, you know, to, to help out McGilded. You know, she doesn't really tell us. Does she tell us everything yet? Let me tell you, I am shocked to hear that she lied on the stand because the testimony made seemed totally legitimate and not at all forged. Yep. And he's. And he's and it's funny because Naruhoto's like I still would have beaten Von Zeke's. You didn't have to do it. No, I'm kidding. But uh, you know, so uh, she she does tell us exa- exactly what happened at this point. Okay, yeah. So basically, that she was hiding in the omnibus. She heard two people get on board, um, and she they were talking and low they were low talking the whole time. So McGilded was not asleep. But then surprisingly, a bunch of stuff did happen the way she she told us before. So she did that out of scream when when she heard uh, someone fall down, uh, and that's when McGilded found her. And set her mm-hmm. next to um, the victim. The corpse, yeah. And she did get his blood on her hands. Yeah, so, so that is what the two, um, what, what were her name? Uh, fur, uh, fur play and uh, Lady First. First. Yeah, first. Uh, so was, was her next to the victim. But then um, McGilded basically threatened her uh, to not talk about anything she saw. And what she, she saw was um, on, um, she saw the disc that was in the pocket of the of the coat. That's right. Um, and when the crime was found, um, McGillard also asked the driver Beppo to go pawn the coat. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, that went to banks. Yep. Yeah. So it's all Beppo's fault. <laughs> Professor Beppo Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> And he asked Gina to take the um, the ticket for the pawn shop and keep it with her. And he promised that he will come at some point to take it back. Which which I do want to point out is different than the, the claim ticket she handed us before. Because the, the claim ticket she, held, she handed us on the back of the cat was from two days earlier. And it just said a small box. Yeah, she also found it in, the, in, in um, the co- uh, one of the coat's pockets. Mm-hmm. So yeah, different different claim ticket, but apparently she had been holding the claim ticket for the the overcoat, and that's what he had he had given it to her and said like, "Okay, look, uh, you're you're gonna take this, and I'm gonna come get it from you at some point in the next two months because that's that's the that's the storage period that pawnbrokers will keep things for. It's, it's two months, like to to the minute. Even it even says like claim time, you know, like nine oh one p.m. That's what I'm gonna put it out in the front of the store." So I'll get it at some point in the next two months. If I don't come back in the next two months, here's 11 shillings or whatever to pay the interest to extend it for another two months. Uh, 
But yeah, I I will get you and I will come pick this up. It seems like she did, she did know that he was dead, though, because she tried to just take the code for herself. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see here. Um... So now, now that we've got the thing, we go, we go to the store and we give, we give, we give, uh, you know, Naruhoto's like, I bet Gregson's going to be upset that we have this representation paper, but actually he's super happy because, you know, he's like, Iris, you, you want to investigate? Come on in. That's so great. You got that. You must've been really smart convincing her. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and, uh, we learn a lot about stereoscopy, um, again, but I think this is where we actually learn about the crossing the eye stuff and how depth and blah, blah, blah. You all know this. Yeah. They, they'd only said the 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 um crossing eyes before the first time then this time is when it goes in depth yeah 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 so to speak yeah and we learn about it because the two tickets uh have the same picture of a cat except they're not exactly the same but they're set to make a 3d picture yeah yeah because we did find the claim ticket for the overcoat on uh windbank's desk yeah, they're just there's very slightly different. And it, it teaches you how to do the cross eye stereoscope thing. And it was it totally worked and it was totally cool. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. Oh, uh, there's another ticket on the back of the other cat photo. Um, it's worth saying. And this one's got a smudge of blood on it. And Iris reveals that she has an invention, which she doesn't have a name for. But she loads her like um, blunderbuss-ish pistol, you know. One of those big honker kind of guns. You know what I mean? Like the barrel is like a big horn, you know? Yeah. And um, and she she loads this bullet that's like a big pink smoke bomb. And it basically turns blood a different color. You know, like like luminol, you might say. And that's like, no, that's a different Phoenix Wright game. (laughs) Uh, This this identifies the blood of the person and turns it a specific color. Um. They mentioned type. I don't think they literally mean blood type. I think this is kind of like the game's little like sort of DNA kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this, this is magic, basically. Yeah. It is magic. I did I did look it up. It, 19, 1901 is apparently when we discovered the like ABO blood types. Mm-hmm. So if we were blood typing this, that would not be anachronistic for the time period we're in because we're, we're right about that turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um. But no, it, it, as like as they talk about it more, it's very clear that this is the, one magic and two like this. This uniquely identifies whose blood it is. So different people will have different colors of blood uh, when when shot at with this cool magic detecting gun. Sure, I do like, and I do want to point out that all of Iris's inventions are like guns of some sort, like the gas grenade gun. The cat flapomatic was a gun. This is a gun. Well, when all, you, when all you have are bullets, everything looks like a gun, I guess. But, um, so, uh, well, we, there's, yeah, so, um, another thing is, like, there's, uh, one thing we didn't mention is the pawnbroker also by the door has one of those, like, tearaway calendars where, like, it shows you the day on, like, multiple slips of paper and you, like, tear off what day it is, you know? Because it's very important for a pawnbroker to know exactly what day it is. Exactly. you know, they know when to put things from the back to the front. Yep. So this is weird, right? Because there's like a bullet hole in the in the calendar, if I remember, and a bullet, but like also blood, like a blood stain on the bullet. Yeah, blood surrounds the bullet hole. And this was there before we entered the shop, um, because we, we we see it when we first entered the shop at the, in in the night at the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. Uh-huh. The bullet is already there, and the blood stain. So this so this is not so this is this is not the the bullet that shot Charles. No. 
And also bullet holes usually don't have blood stains, so this is totally suspicious. Like, definitely feels like a planted kind of thing. I mean, the, the thing that I found interesting about that piece of evidence is that it's already turned over to today. Because it was, it was April 15th, the, the first day we were here. And we, we visited the shop at like one in the morning. And right. it, was, it had already been ripped off to say April 16th. So that, that implies to me that he was like the, that Windebank was like up and doing work like in this time. Uh, like normal business work or something happened that on that piece of paper like there was more blood spatter and they got rid of one page in a hurry you know what i mean and tried to cover it up somehow maybe i don't know i guess now thinking about it what could possibly be on that tiny slip of paper but i don't know anyhow maybe whatever yeah that works too windebank did it windebank was up and alive okay all right i'll take your computing theory fine um all right so uh, what else happened here? Oh, so basically, um, the the thumbprint turned green with Iris's invention, and here on the calendar, it turned purple. So we don't know... Wait, I'm sorry, I mixed that up. The calendar turned green, and the cat photo one turned purple. And in fact, um, in a very impressive scene, Naruhoto says that he can even deduce who the purple blood belongs to, because it's on the back of the cat photo. I was using a walkthrough at this point, and I will say, though, I don't know that I could have deduced it, but it, in fact, belonged to thrice-fired Mason. Um, <gasps> and f- the thumbprint, the bloody thumbprint, even looks like it might have been one gloves, meaning it was his blood, but where McGilded took, you know, was holding after, like, McGilded. Because then we had the flashback, McGilded said, look, guy's bleeding, I'm not just going to sit there, I tried to help him, that's how I got blood on my gloves, you know. Um, anywho, uh... Uh, we go to the store. Oh, yeah. What else do we learn? So then we can go in the vault at this point, right? I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Which, or, uh, not the vault. The, the walkthrough store called it a vault. The storeroom, yeah. Um, and here, like, we see, like, Gregson's there and he's talking to us. He says, Gina had the key in her pocket, but the door was locked from inside. Um, there is a taped outline of uh, the pawnbroker's body. And he's got blue blood when we do the thing. And, um... Let's see. There is. Oh, yeah. And we were also told the door is locked from the inside. So if Gina had the key in her pocket. He's saying like he must have locked. She must have locked herself in there with her. We do see the the trunk. And does it have the manuscript in it? I feel like there is confirmed at this point that like, no, like Holmes did pawn pawn uh, pawn the manuscript, meaning like store it. Not like he didn't sell it. Yeah. The box is there and it's it's open, but the manuscript is still in it. Yeah. Yeah. So we feel like, you know, Gina probably came in, did probably like look here for the manuscript. But then what happened next? We don't know. And also just to point out that if you aren't playing along, this this investigation took I had to use a walkthrough as well. Um, It was taking a while for me to figure out what to do next. Yeah, this part's tricky, too, because you're supposed to give Gregson um, the what is it? The other ticket. You have like two tickets, but usually in these games, like your more, your more recent item is the one you give. And all of Gregson's explanations are, are that generic, like, Inspector, what do you think of this? Uh, 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 I can't tell you anything about this case, which all, which makes it sound like this is all a red herring. Like, don't bother trying to give this guy an item, yeah. you know? But it's it's actually not true because you give him the first receipt you got, the first cat photo from Gina in the prison. He's like, huh, another one, huh? Interesting. I kind of forget what he says there. Um, this is where 
I started playing and not taking notes, so let me go to my spoiler-free walkthrough. Um, so he also, he also tells us that um, Holmes's surgeries uh, finished successfully. Oh, right. But he's still asleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has anesthesia. Right. And- yeah, I think the only important part about the about the ticket is that, like I said, it was from two days before the murder, so its redemption deadline has passed. Yeah. So, like, it should be in the front, but it could be... Um, it, I mean, it could be anywhere. Someone could have bought it in the intervening 48 hours. Yeah, and that's what Gregson believes, that, like, this ticket, that the item's probably already gone. See, it just says a small box. Like, there's no description, like... Because uh, I was I was looking for it in the front room. There were a lot of things that were a uh, a like that could have met the description of a small box. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Um, worth mentioning, we do take the manuscript as evidence um, because now we can go back to Gina and be like, "Look, you were wrong. See, Holmes didn't steal it. We have it here." And you, you know, she's like, "Well, I, you know, I don't trust anyone or anything." And we get. Again, I, you know, when you're summarizing it, it sounds like kind of BS, but I actually really liked it. This whole thing where, you know, it's like um, Naruhoto remembers what Kazuma told him, like the best weapon you have is like belief in your client as a lawyer. And then and Gina's like, yeah, but look where it got you. You ended up defending McGilded, who like, kind of tricked you and into, you know. Yeah, we, we also learned her like definitely, definitively said that um, McGilded killed, uh, what is his name, Mason. Oh, yeah. Because uh, we spot uh, bloodstains on Gina's coat. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they're on the sleeves, but yeah. And we use the magic blood gun on her. Uh, and it turns out to be the same color as the ones we, did, we deduced was Mason's blood. Yeah. But she's like covered in it. And since this was McGilda's coat. And it's clearly like spattered on her chest. Like this was not like she just touched it or whatever. It was it. It got onto her in some kind of got into the coat rather in some kind of violent encounter. Like this is clearly a murder in coat. And then she saw him like stab like basically like multiple times and starts like relating it in gory detail. And then says like I totally forgot about that. I'm sorry. Um, but so yeah. But basically, it's kind of like you can say I will trust you and I won't trust you. And you know, if I had more time because we were running close to the podcast. I really wanted to pick I Won't Trust You just to see. Um, but I said I will trust you. I, I always pick the uh, the like the, the wrong option. It's like, nah, I don't feel like doing court. That's stupid. I'll give up. Like, I, I always pick the wrong option because usually it just gives you a little bit of extra dialogue and then weaves you back into the, you know, the flow of the game. I, I did not have the heart to do that here. Yeah. I'm just like, oh. She's just talking about, it's like, look, I, I lied so much. How could you ever possibly trust me? Like, come on, your whole theory is stupid. And it's like, no. This is this is what Cosmo wanted. This is everything. And and it um and yeah, we again, you know, summarizing it, it's nothing. But this is, I think, really well written and stuff. And I, I totally was like bought into it. And um, it's really sweet. Yeah. So we're going to help her out. And then I, I think at one point she's like going to cry, which is like, wow, that was like a good touch. Like, she's not real. Like, she kind of like bends her head down, like with her cap. It's re- like, it's really cool. Really well done all together. The animations are really lively in this game. Like, yeah, you, you get emotions from them. Yeah. And even when they're even when they're just like really like they're almost like split second animations they are just like brief ones that'll pop in. They still provide character, you know, like there's always sort of something that makes you look like they, it gives more depth to, to this, to, 
to, you know, how they're portraying this person. They become less of just, you know, sort of this stockplate example of, of someone. They'd be like, oh, this feels like a real person would kind of move that way or do that or duck away or, you know, the way they uh, portray a lot of like romance and just the, the, uh, the way that the, the, um, uh, Pat and Rolly would just sort of, you know, look at each other and sort of, you know, and be very, very sweet to each other. It's all these little tiny touches that, that advance the game. Yeah. Um, we do. So we do agree to represent her. And um, what happens next, of course, is we're back home and we can't really sleep. Well, before that, we run into Gregson. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. Gregson was sneaking, was hiding in the shadows, listening to all this crying. No, he didn't. But, you know, I, I was. So um, <laughs> so Gregson's there and he was what was he like? He was like, it's weird because like he he shows up, he fawns to Iris for a second and then it's like, well, I have to deal with the emergency back at the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, we, we forgot about it because all throughout the chapters, they mentioned there's like a very big case that's going on and they won't tell us what it is that the police are working on. Yeah, they have more important stuff to do than just investigate this stupid pawnbroker murder. Right. Yeah, it's totally unclear why he was there. Like, he doesn't actually say anything. He's just like, hello, I definitely wasn't eavesdropping. I was just here to... I have to go. It's a weird conversation. So... Yeah, um, we go home, we're asleep, uh, and then Suzato, uh, we wake up to see Suzato's leaving, and basically she's like, look, you need a good night's sleep for your trial tomorrow, I don't, you know, so, I, I don't want to, like, wake you up, but I'm, I'm, I have to leave at, like, six in the morning, I think, or four in the morning. Four in the morning. Yeah, so it's like, so, you know, he's like, you were the best, like, like, legal assistant of all time. She's like, no, actually, I failed completely. He's like, what do you mean? She's like, I, I can't tell you right now, which is, uh, again, I'd be like, Suzato, I'm ne- I might never see you again. You got to tell me, like, one of the things that you're holding on to for a while. I mean, come on. It's like this minimum 100-day round trip from even if you leave the second you get back to Japan. Yeah. Or, like, swim back as soon as you find out that Maelstrom lied about your father being sick to get rid of you because you're too good, which is my new theory. Also, keep in mind that it doesn't make any sense why a 50-day trip would leave at 4 in the morning. Like, <laughs> like it's not a flight. Like, you're not trying to catch a certain time. It's like, it's 50 days. Who cares what time you leave? So you have to leave the apartment at 4 in the morning. I guess the actual boat leaves in the, sometimes in the morning, but takes time to get there and to check in and Whatever else you need to do. Yeah, I, I guess it just seems very weird considering you're, you're in a major, major capital. Yeah. I think they would base it off people's transport from London, but yeah, it's just, it's just odd in, in the boat age. But um, what's excuse me? Um, but uh, we were gonna we're gonna give like a tearful goodbye kind of thing. Um, they have like a nice little chat. Um, Suzato and Naruhodo, like enough where I was even starting to think, like, is there going to be like a romance element with them? But um, it, that doesn't come up. It usually doesn't in, in Ace Attorney games. There's not much. Yeah, it doesn't. The only thing I would say that hints at it is sometimes she hints at the way she would handle a husband. And it, and and it, whenever she does like the the Sasato, what was it the Sasato flip or whatever takedown takedown take yeah because yeah. a lot of times when they like in the last trial when she was talking about things like you know oh yeah I could I, I wouldn't throw things at somebody well maybe I'd use a bow you know and like she's, yeah. like it's kind of like the two of them implying that like oh that kind of relationship for us but it never goes in depth no well she also says a thing like you've really grown in these past two months and he's like really she's like no you know like that that sort of. Don't get me wrong. You can absolutely read it as just like a friendly, like kind of like haha sort of thing. Like I don't want to admit you're you're doing good kind of thing. But I don't know. I was starting to be like, is this going where that way? But again, yeah, they don't really. But one thing is that 
you know, we're going to do a tearful goodbye. And she gives this. She flips us again and gives us this Susato shutdown because she's like, if we said goodbye, I would start crying, you know, so. And then it's cute because the screen kind of blurs a little bit, like Aww. as as if like, you know, he's got tears in his eyes. Aww. So it looks like looks like both both he and Susato are tearing up a little bit, trying not to cry. It's really cute. Game's cute. cute. It is. Um, so she uh, she leaves, and then before the chapter is finally over, we go to the hospital where Sholmes is talking to someone, and he's basically kind of like, well, you know, um, he's kind of saying, like, thanks for all your work, kind of? What is he? He's like, he's saying, like, a certain sort of finality thing like that, and it turns out he's talking to Suzato, and I think normally that would maybe just be her goodbye, but it almost sounds like there's something surreptitious going on where she was always working with him or whatever on something that we didn't know about. I think it sounds like, and it it might come... Uh, it, it might be stated better in Japanese, I think, but to me, it sounds like she asked him to do something, and he agreed. Yeah, yeah, he says something like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. It certainly implies that she's been doing something this entire time that we don't know about. Mm. And it seems like that's kind of like the the whole thing with, you know, sort of her, with the telegram and her not talking about it. Which, you know, sort of seems like this is all about her father, but there also might see... It's, an, it's, it also, it's, um, it's interesting to, I mean, we're at the end of the official end of the reading now, so it's speculation time. Because I am starting to wonder, too, like, you know, she is Professor Mikitoba's father, or daughter, you know, so is it possible that Kazuma, even, and Naruhoto were actually, like, the cover, you know, and that Suzato was really the one who was sent... Like on some kind of like mission for for to London, or is it a mission that Cosima knew about? Yeah, that that would make sense. And she knew, but she won't tell um, Ryosuke just because you know Naruto, because like uh, you know he's not involved. You know he's he's just the lawyer guy. He's not involved with this other part. And um, I think I think that, but during the ship uh, case, she was like, "Oh, I guess we're gonna have to go home now." Like, she- yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, but if it's supposed to be her and Cosima, that she might think the mission is over just because one of like her partner's gone. Be ready to give up on it. If it was just her, she would probably want to still do it. But maybe if it was dual missions, I could tell you, but I would have to kill you. But I really mean that I would actually have to kill you. And but it would imply because she's so close in our heart that it would it would imply that like I, I like she does want to tell him. She just can't now because you know it's like that somebody else's trust she's betraying. I think it's also so other speculation questions, of course, what's what's on the disc? Hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it has to be. Yeah, go ahead. I, one thing that we didn't uh, that I, I don't think we talked about is that like when the guy came in, uh, Egg, Egbert Pumperdink or whatever, like he said he seemed to think that there was supposed to be a second disc as well. Yes. It's, oh, yeah. We totally forgot. Yep. So yeah, there's like there's the disc that we found in the coat jacket, and then theoretically there's supposed to be a second disc that is also something. So like, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that the second disc is something like when you have them both together, they reveal a secret message to like the treasure or something. I'm just not sure how you get that out of a out of a music box with its you know like 16 tines or whatever. The true identity of Professor Moriarty. <laughs> it's actually the Declaration of Independence. We have to go steal it. <laughs> it's got, so it's a code, but what could it be a code too? 
I mean, it's something that... I don't know. I mean, unless... I don't know. A sound-based lock. I think when, when I played this at first, I, I figured that the second disc was probably in that second box that the Gilded Pawn. No, I think it's going to be one of those like sound-based locks like you sometimes get in like escape rooms, where hmm. once, when you play the music box in front of it, the speaker hears it and then it opens up and then there's a treasure. And <laughs> Gina's father, cryogenically frozen, <laughs> because Iris Watson built that. What the hell? Um, <laughs> um so, so we got a. I mean, it's all right. We have a locked room kind of thing, but like I can't figure out how this could work. I mean, obviously, right? You sh so if Gina is asleep, maybe due to anesthesia, which gets mentioned because of the Holmes thing, right? Uh, you sh you kill uh, Windebank. You put his body in the storeroom. You you bring Gina in. <sighs> See, this is where it gets hard then, because you can plant the gun on her and everything's fine there. How do you lock the room and keep the key in her pocket, even with a copy of a key? Which you could make with caramel. It's true. These you, We see a, of some of the keys in the inside, and they like they do not look hard to copy. Mm -hmm. Unless you were to burrow underground <laughs> with a spade? Spade, yes. No, you mean a shovel. It's coming oh back. What if this actually is, like, the correct, like, deduction, and we screwed it up with the course correction somehow? <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be great. If they did that one time in this game, I would love it. Yeah, that would be really good. I mean, no, because the problem is that, as we know, the British police, uh, you know, really locked down a crime scene, so they're just making it harder for themselves. But if right, this were right. in Japan, maybe <laughs> the killer is Japanese. That's what we're supposed to find out. See, you gotta read the disc from right to left. <laughs> I was thinking maybe Holmes fucked up when he pressed it into the caramel somehow and used like the wrong side. I don't think that would like, I don't think you could actually. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it only has one side, really. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh God, is it the Indiana Jones thing? Like, oh, he only yes! has one side. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. What do you think is going on with the manuscript? Why is Iris not allowed to publish it? I think it reveals something about her father and, and, and more about his story about what she doesn't know. I don't know why, why, um, why Iris, like why they're not allowed to publish it, but I'm pretty sure that Suzato might've found it like, cause she's the one in the, that first case who brought us, um, like Wilson's notes. And so I, I think that Suzato might've found it while we were still in Japan. Like she found it among his things and that's why like she knew the title of it. That doesn't really answer anything, but I, I think that it was either mostly written or at least like outlined or something by by Wilson before he left. That would imply that he was still alive, which he did not know at the time, right? Because this is only a couple of months ago that this took place. Yeah, I mean, if she found the story, if Iris found the story in her father's diaries, then the case must have been at least, what, nine years ago? Because... She's 10, and she lived most of her life with, with Sharms without a father. But it still must have, it must have been relevant. I'm guessing it, that it was relevant enough to Wilson for him to keep it with his notes, like his notes on poisons and stuff that Suzata was looking through. So it was still important to him somehow. Maybe it's part of an ongoing case. How do the Baskervilles briefly is about a dog they think's a monster, and it's like the dog's really dressed up with like glow-in-the-dark paint kind of shit, you know, to like... 
what like they're trying to sell it as a haunted thing but it's really like just a regular dog right is the whole you know thing right right they're they're trying to um I'm trying to think what the actual plotline was. It's basically they're trying to uh, hide what's going on on the moors um, because what was the actual um, God, drug smuggling? It, it it was definitely smuggling related, right? Because it's like it's like everybody goes out there. The the the, the hound's going to kill you if you go out in the moors at this certain time, so no one does. Um, yeah. I'd- so is that? I mean, they're not going to do drugs, but maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is like some kind of smuggling operation thing possibly even being f- to or from japan maybe opium I, I, I don't know but like and that this is why there's like this international thing going on um and how do the baskervilles reveal like kind of reveals it's a smuggling story of some kind but they can't publish it yet because the ring hasn't been broken up it, it's a little weird though i mean it's the it, the problem is that like the, there's specific people are involved so like if you published a story about a smuggling ring that scotland yard and sherlock holmes were looking into it'd be like uh why did you have to write that story so i could see it you know that's the only thing i can really think of but then and then okay but then and then the code um I mean, the code, if it had to do with smuggling, could be some kind of like date, time, longitude, latitude kind of thing on where to get pickups and stuff like that. Maybe from like 10 years ago or wait. No, sorry. The code, the code on the discs right now. Yes. Yes. I'm, okay, I'm okay. wondering. Back if the discs. That, yeah. Like that's how you decode where to what to send or maybe where to send it or how, you know, and I, I, I couldn't tell you how exactly it would, it would have to either be sound based or Maybe not. Maybe there's some way with the bumps and like a printing press kind of thing that you could make, you know, you could like have it like write out something like dot matrix almost. I mean, we've got telegrams, you know, got to be in Morse code. So we we do have a uh, at least at least for as far as length, we have an ability to trans translate sounds into letters. I mean, yeah, like realistically, that would you would never you could you the disc would have to be like enormous or something, you know, so maybe not quite that, but. I feel like they're going to do something where it's it's not sound at all. You know, like the bumps do something else somehow, maybe, you know, or it could just be code in notes, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, oh, yeah, I looked up how to the Baskervilles. I didn't remember it at all. Uh, so the, it's just an inheritance thing. Um, oh. They're just killing off Baskervilles via an actual hound who's pretended to be a ghost hound, but is actually just a, a dog trained to kill people. Fuck, I like my theory so much, too. Yeah. Piece of shit, Arthur Conan Doyle. Fuck. <laughs> Sue this, you jerk. <laughs> what What is this game if not a, an augmented version of Sherlock Holmes? It's like, we get it, but what if it were better? Yes. So that's, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, exactly. What if it was something really terrible? Like, they just wanted to believe in a ghost dog and they just don't mention it till the end. <laughs> just like, <laughs> oh yeah, the ghost dog. I didn't tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, he just walks around Baker Street. Yes. He says, Otto, I didn't have the context even for that to be a good secret. Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I swam back about three days into the journey because I figured my father never gets sick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, here's one last speculation thing. Do we think we know the person who will ultimately be have killed um, Wendebank? I think it was McGilded. He's still alive. 
One of the, the the two thugs we saw, brief silhouetted, one of them looked short, but they looked like McGilded to me. So the silhouettes that we saw, I know we just saw them briefly, but I think one of them was that short guy from the previous case. So I- Beppo th- again. <laughs> nah, the other, the other short guy, the ones that we saw for like a minute and then they went away. Oh yeah, those oh, the, two. The fop? Oh yeah. Yeah, the fop. And the not fop. Oh yeah, I forgot all about them. I mean, I mean, they did show up, and we've never heard from them again. <laughs> and the game is almost over. That's a good point. And and the game is almost over. Yes. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be crazy though? It's just <laughs> the game just shoves these characters at us and then doesn't ever use them again. Chekhov's character. I hope they ne- they never show up again. Really. They're actors though, for hire, right? That's why the ones doing Shakespeare. Oh, because they're different kind of actors, so they can't even improv together. They're just like, oh, okay, you do your thing, I'll do mine. Yep, yeah. They're hired by someone for the misdirection part of it. So that, like, I don't know if the person who did all this predicted Holmes would be there, per se, but they're there to take the, or maybe they did, and they're there to take the blame when someone shoots Holmes in the dark. So they just run for it after the gunshot goes, you know? And it's got to be the, no, you know who it is? It's that lady. She, remember from the start, the the jerk lady, the English oh, British the lady. Swan? Yeah, who we never like saw for her again. That's McGilded's secret wife. That's the only way this works, That it, it, to wrap it all back. <laughs> I don't know. All right, but like, you know, there's every character who we haven't had a, a loose plot thread with is coming back in this trial as the jury. No, but um, <laughs> <laughs> conflict. You don't care about conflict. Let's go. Who cares? It's the final trial. You know what that means. Bring it in, guys. What the <laughs> palette swap versions of McGilded times six is the jury? What the? <laughs> How are we ever gonna? Hey, one of them has a different hat. <laughs> it's Patty McGilded, Michael McGilded, <laughs> Serena McGilded. It's all the McGildeds. <laughs> The whole McGilded clan. Oh no! It's all the jury is all dogs. That's where the Baskerville comes in. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all like all the arts, just like dogs on like black velvet, like dogs playing poker. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say this. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, but only one member of the jury is new. The, the, the other ones are pe- people we've seen before. Nice. Do only like ten people live in London in this year? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we haven't seen any any more. Like, there's no proof that anyone else exists in this place. Damn. Okay. All right. So we'll have to find out next time. Yep. On Visual Novel Book Club, I think we're reading like up to the second, like half of it. There's like I think like four to be continued. You said, and we're reading up to the second one. Three to be continues. No. So four sections. Oh, I say, yeah, yeah. So read up to your second. To <laughs> continue twice, okay? <laughs> Save their game twice. Yeah, be prompted to, be asked to. I don't know. Well, yeah, it also also be saving on your own. So long, governors. <laughs> <laughs>